0: All right. Good morning, everyone. Very thankful that you can make it out to worship together with us. Uh, My name is Sam. If you don't know who I am, uh, I'm part of the pastoral staff. And I'm just privileged to open and share God's word. Uh, Again, we want to welcome you. Highly, highly encourage you. Please join us in reading through scripture. Obviously, this series is not just one message, but it's five weeks for that purpose of really letting you know how valuable and important it is to just do the regular daily practice of reading your Bible um community groups do resume this week. Uh, again, for those who are new to the church or signed up recently, I don't know how we do things. Uh, first step would be to come to the welcoming lunch. Look forward to meeting some of you there. And I am excited for formation groups to finally begin. Uh, we're right around the corner and uh, we're about... Done with making the group, so expect a message from me soon. But uh, this reason of this series alone will probably explain why I'm so excited that we are creating a group centered around uh, the reading of God's Word. And so, that being said, as Pastor Tom mentioned, we are in a season to kick off this new year talking about Bible reading. Right? This series is called Read Scripture. We started it last week and it's going to last for five weeks. And I thought if you weren't able to join or just to review last week, I thought Pastor Tom, he did a great job introducing the series and answering the question of what is the Bible. Right, uh, If you're a Christian sitting here today or if you're curious about Christianity, this is a central, central thing to what it means to follow Jesus. So you should at the very least be able to have an accurate understanding of what the Bible is. And uh, to put it up there, the definition that was given quite simply uh, but also very clear is that the Bible is a divine and human library of books that tell one unified story which leads to Jesus. And I thought that's a very good holistic succinct summary of what the scriptures are. Every part of that definition is important. And to make sure that we uphold all of it so we approach the Bible correctly. However, as great as it is to have a better understanding of what the Bible is, I'm willing to bet the greater challenge for many of us is to actually feel the need to read it. Amen? (laughs) Wow, the Bible. I know what it is now. But do I still not have the desire to read it? If you're like me, that's the challenge. And the hope for today is to answer that very question, not what is it, but now in light of what it is, why do we need to read it? Why do we need the Bible? And obviously you can't change your life per se over one message, but the hope and prayer is that after the message, there's a little more desire to see the Bible as not just a nice addition or option to your life, but as something that's necessary in your life. So, if you have your Bibles or your programs, we're going to read two quick verses to kick off the message. We'll look in Matthew uh, chapter 4, verse 4, and then we'll read two chapters after in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. These two simple verses will again start off the message, but we're looking at a variety of texts. In our church, every time we open God's Word, uh, we believe God is present and He speaks. So, can we all rise together as we read these two verses from Matthew to begin our message today? Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, this is when Jesus is being tempted uh, by Satan and he responds. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, the reading of God's word. But he answered, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, in the famous Lord's Prayer, one line reads, Give us today our daily bread. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. Let me pray for us. Father, as we approach your word to discuss and learn more about your word, we pray that it would come alive. Father, that you would speak and move and help us to see uh, just how valuable and how much of a treasure it is that you have given us the gift of your word to speak to us in a way that only you can and only it can in this day and age where we are so hungry for truth and and sustenance to really sustain us and how crazy life can get. And so we pray at this time that you'd be honored through the preaching of your word. And in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Uh, Please be seated. So I want to start with a simple question uh, that might require a little bit of thought. But I think it's a nice way to, to kick off and get our minds in the right place. Uh, what would you say is the difference between something you want and something you need? Very simple icebreaker message question. Like how do you differentiate, this is just a want in my life and this is a need in my life. This is something that is a nice addition. This is something that is essential. Uh, when I heard the topic that I'll be preaching of why we need the Bible, I for some reason zeroed in on that word and concept of need. I thought it was a very fascinating thing. I scoured different articles, definitions. One definition I liked that I came across in the dictionary is this. A need can be defined as a physiological or psychological requirement for the well being of an organism. Okay? So that's what a need is. You need this in order to be healthy and for the well-being of yourself or an organism or whatever it might be. So this can range from food to water to, more, uh, to broader things like social contact and human contact and socialization. And, uh, you know, needs, it can easily become overwhelming because there's so many needs in this world. So researchers, what they do is they categorize needs into categories. So they'll say there are primary needs. And what they say our primary needs are basic things we can all agree with, like food, water, shelter, sunlight, sleep. You just can't, you can't get by without these basic necessities. And then there's secondary needs, which are important, but not as essential. Things like, do you have air conditioning and heating? It will affect your life and quality of life, but it's not essential like food and water. Or do you have a car to get around, to go to work, to take your family around? It's important. It'll be hard without it, but it's not quite as essential. And then tertiary needs, which are the least essential, can be categorized as what I would call just nice additions or things you want, like a nice vacation or having a nice car or eating good food and drinking nice coffee. Again, really nice things, you really do enjoy those things, but you don't quite need them. Now, these categories were created because if you don't categorize, the word and concept of need gets very muddled because in the same way you say, I need food, you will also say, I need a vacation. And everybody knows and agrees these are not the same types of needs, even though we're using the same language. So why am I explaining this and starting off this way? I think for most of us, the question is not whether we believe we need the Bible or not. I think most of us would say yes, especially if you call yourself a Christian. The real question is, to what level and degree of need would you place Bible reading in your personal category of need in your life? That's the real question. Or to use the earlier definition, how essential do you think the Bible is to your well-being? Because based on the text that we read earlier in Matthew, It's very clear how Jesus viewed the Bible. He clearly viewed it as a primary need. How do we know this? He straight up says in the same way that humans need bread to eat to survive every day, that is the picture and metaphor that your spiritual well-being is literally tied to the primary need of intaking God's word. He equates the need for the Bible as the same level of eating and drinking. So that's what Jesus did. And as followers of Jesus, the challenge is, huh, how do we emulate and mirror that kind of vowing of God's word? Now, at least in the general sense, again, most of us, I want to give the benefit of that, that we know we should read the Bible, but the fact is that many of us don't. That's just the honest reality. And that reveals one way or another, it's because we don't really view it as something we need to do. Because the circular argument is if you really felt like you needed it, you would do it. So therefore, the fact that you aren't doing it shows that you probably don't really think you need it. And I relate, I'm not intending to guilt trip anyone. I grew up in a Christian family. I am a pastor. Many of us taught, and and I have a hard time reading the Bible too. I'm just as challenged to begin fresh with this reading plan as you are. I'm journeying right there with you. And I thought about this. A lot of us come from Christian contexts. The reason I think it's so hard for a lot of us is many of us were taught simply, hey, just believe the Bible is the word of God. Just value it. Just treasure it. Just memorize it. But we weren't really taught why why it's important, why we should need it, what role it should play. And so we're going to tackle that question, in the message today, and we're going to touch three main points as we journey through a couple of texts. Number one, the story of our need. Okay, the story of our need. And number two, the Bible's role in fulfilling our needs. And then thirdly, the challenge of acting on our need. Okay, so first, the story of our needs. So one thing you're going to hear repeated throughout this series is the fact that the Bible ultimately is a story. I think this is important because if you grew up in a religious context, more often than not, the paradigm of Scripture is more that it's a good moral rule book. It's good rules to follow, to live a moral and happy and ethical life, or to be pleasing to God. But rarely, at least in my upbringing, was it presented as a unified story. Genesis, the revelation, the way it starts and ends, make that very clear. Pastor Tom shared this as well. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God, okay? So we see that there's a beginning of the story with the main character being God and it ends in Revelation 22:20 20. he who testifies to these says ak Jesus God surely I'm coming soon so in the beginning there was a God and at some point he's going to return and Christianity argues The path to truly make sense of yourself and of your life is to find out where and how your story fits within the grander story of Scripture that speaks of this God who has created you, who longs to be with you, and who has sent his son Jesus to make a way for that to happen. That's what's going on here. And here's the thing. Whether we like to admit it or not. We all inevitably fit ourselves into some sort of story or narrative because we are story-driven creatures. One way you know this, at some point in life, every human intrinsically begins to be curious about these questions. What is the meaning of my life? How do I fit into this universe? Who am I? What am I doing here on this earth? Why do we ask those things? Because we are craving a grander context and narrative with which to make sense of ourselves. And I think scripture and experience both show those questions demand answers. And so either you'll be in the camp where you create your own, or you'll perpetually live your life seeking out what those answers are. But Christianity, through the scriptures, gives a clear answer. The Bible asserts all creation, not just humans, but all creation is created to find ultimate Fulfillment, joy, and purpose in this relationship with the Creator. Now, obviously, the challenge and the reason the world is the way it is today is because the story took a really bad turn when humans, whom God created to be in relationship with Him, distorted the story and tried to now find fulfillment and purpose outside of God. Okay, that's where the story takes a big left turn. And what's important to realize is that from that moment on, again, not just humanity but all of creation. Fell into a state of brokenness. And here's one symptom of brokenness that I think we don't often think about. One great result of brokenness is now we have a distorted sense of reality. That is one of the main symptoms of the fall. We have a distortion of reality. For example, in the original sin, God makes a statement of reality. What does he say? He tells Adam and Eve, here's reality. If you disobey and eat of this fruit, you will surely die. That's a reality statement. Now, what does Satan do? He comes in and he distorts that reality and says, actually, God's not aware of reality. You're not actually going to die. You guys see what's going on there. Now, here's an interesting question. When Adam and Eve eat of the fruit that God said, if you eat it, you're going to die, did they actually die? Did you ever think about that? According to God, they did. Now here's where it's a little interesting, though, because they were still physically alive, moving and breathing, weren't they? They were still moving out and about. Does that mean God lied? Does that mean God was like, oh, wow, they actually didn't die. I was wrong. Or could it show God speaks about and operates within a greater reality than what we perceive with just our eyes? You guys see that? This is fundamental to understand because the story of our need begins with the humble realization that as a result of being separated from the creator God, we have no idea what we actually need. That's step one. We have no idea what we actually need. Even on a basic human level, do you realize knowing what we need, we're not born with that knowledge. It's something that has to be taught to us. This has never been clear to me as I'm trying to teach my two-year-old son how to be a human. Right? One of his fundamental problems is he views his tertiary needs of candy and toys as essential primary needs. And he views the primary needs of a healthy diet, healthy sleep, brushing his teeth as optional add-ons to his life. He's totally reversed the order. And I'm slowly realizing more than just giving the isolated commands to him of like, you have to do this, you have to eat this, you have to brush your teeth, you can't do that. These basic necessities are better taught with a narrative context. For example, I'll tell him, Ezra, your teeth, they get dirty. Okay? That's the story of teeth. And if you don't brush them, there's going to be a consequence. You're going to get cavities. Now track with me here. In Ezra's distorted reality right now, my son doesn't think he needs to brush his teeth. But it is my job now as his father who knows true reality and knows what's best for him to correct his distortion and teach him truth. You guys kind of see what's going on here? Now it's up to Ezra ultimately. And he can either choose to live within the truth and narrative that I have now presented to him. And trust me that I know what's best for him. Or he can continue to live in his distorted reality where he thinks he doesn't need to brush his teeth. And that he will be fine. And he will face a miserable consequence as a result. That's what's going on. And I share this with you because the great distortion we need to be aware of and we need to combat if you're ever to meaningfully approach Scripture is the distortion that we think ultimately we know what we need to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment in our lives. We don't. And that's a scriptural assertion from the very beginning. Because when we thought we got what we needed, it led to the fall of man. So the Bible says we don't. And that's why Jesus had to come. And again, we emphasize the gospel a lot. But recently at our church, we've been talking not just about the death of Christ, but the life of Christ. Because Jesus had to come and teach and model what true life looks like. How different his reality of life and living was from the way the rest of the world thinks about it. It's why Christianity is not just about believing truths. It's about following Jesus and practicing how he taught us to live in order to correct our distorted living and to truly live, as Jesus says, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free from all of this. That you're going to recapture what it means to truly live. So in summary, the story of our need is rooted in the fact that we need to be taught our need. We need to be taught true reality, which leads to the second point, the Bible's role in fulfilling our needs. So I think one universal truth that applies in almost every situation is that needs are better absorbed and understood in context, okay? So let me give you a kind of interesting illustration of this. Let's say you were sitting here, you came early on a Sunday, and I walked in here, and I handed you a very sharp knife, and I said, you're going to need this, and I just bounced. Well, no, that's kind of scary, But because you have zero context or or narrative to make sense of why you're going to need this knife, well, number one, you might either think, I actually don't need this knife. Nobody just carries a knife for no reason, so I feel weird, so you discard it. Or you might make a wrong conclusion, like maybe I'll need it to cut something later. Uh, Maybe there's like a package. I don't know why I need it. Or maybe I need to defend myself against a burglar. But if I said, before giving you the knife, today for fellowship, we are all going to enter the kitchen and be cooking a meal later today. So, you're going to need that knife. Now, that makes a lot more sense. It's not weird. You can readily accept the fact that, oh, I understand now what I'm going to be using this for and why I need it. So, I'm going to hold on to it. Unfortunately for many of us, we were taught you need scripture in the first way. It was just dropped into your life and into your hands and said, this is the word of God. This is important. You better memorize it. Bye. Right? Is, is that not the very basis of how a lot of Christian education went? At least for me it was. It was memorize these verses. And the fact that you're memorizing it means you're godly. I don't know why it's coming from. I don't understand the context. I don't understand how it applies to my life. But I was praised for that, so I thought that's what it means. But we weren't really given narrative and explanation behind why we need it and how we are to use it. Now, I just want to make it clear. This is not how God gives the Bible to us. The Bible makes it very clear why we need it and how, why we are to meditate on it. And because the Bible is such a glorious, multifaceted, Swiss army knife-esque book, there's not just one metaphor to capture what it is and how it functions. There's multiple, okay? And I could do a whole series on just that. I mean, one of them we already touched on, right? The metaphor of the Bible being like bread to the spiritual body as food is to the physical but we're gonna talk on a couple of them that I think are relevant for us today to see what is the need we have and how does the Bible fill that need, okay? So we're gonna to briefly touch on four of those metaphors, and I hope it gives you a better understanding of why we need it. So first, and I'm gonna do it first based on the reality that the Bible asserts, which raises a need in that reality, and how the Bible fills that need, okay? So I'm working backwards here. The first reality that the Bible asserts, which which raises a need, is this. We live in a world filled with darkness. Filled with darkness. One of the running themes throughout the Bible is this world is in a state of perpetually increasing darkness. Darkness can refer generally to the broken and fallen state of the world, which I don't need to convince anyone of. But more specifically, it can refer to the lostness of those who engage in wicked things, evil things. The Christian way to say it is sinful things. But even on a personal level, even if it's not a moral darkness, don't often a lot of you guys feel like you're walking in darkness? Like, if you really think about it, you are dictating the next steps you're going to take with career, with family, with relationship, with friends, what you're going to do. What is guiding you? We're actually all quite lost if you think about it. We have no idea what we're doing. And which voices are you listening to now for to instruct you and guide you? Which way to go? In other words, it's almost scary to admit we're actually walking blind. A lot of us, when I talk to people, we're very confused. We're very aimless and directionless. We're kind of chasing after the wind. Like maybe this is it, maybe this is that. And then all the which to that, the world is dark. There's moral corruption. We don't know how to make sense of it. We don't know how to make sense of right and wrong in our life. And this is where, in darkness, what is the greatest need that arises? Light. Illumination. If you were in a dark cave that is pitch black, nothing is more needed than for me to come in and give you a flashlight and say, here you go. You know where you're going now. And that's what the Bible says in one metaphor. Psalm 119.105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Proverbs 6.23, for this command is a lamp. This teach, teaching is a light. And correction and instruction are the way of life. So why do we need a lamp? It's obvious. Because we live in the midst of darkness. And in the same way we need a lamp to guide our steps through darkness, we need God's word to step into our hearts and our life, to illuminate so we don't lose our step as we live in a world filled with darkness. And Each of these metaphors can be their own message, but for time's sake, we'll move on. So number one, because we live in a reality of darkness, God's word serves as a lamp. Number two, and I hope you don't take offense at this, but it is the reality of Scripture says... We are truly not self-aware. That is another reality. I remember one of the more embarrassing days of my life was when I went almost a whole day with a piece of uh, cilantro stuck in my teeth after eating pho. It was like front and center. I don't even know how that happened. Now, I'm not sure about you, but one of the greatest social dilemmas I've ever faced and I, I face here and there is when someone has something stuck in their teeth, whether to point it out or not. You guys feel me? I've come to the conclusion you have a five-second window to point it out before you have committed that you're not going to tell them. And you just got to commit. Because after five seconds, the window of opportunity has passed and now you're just messed up for not mentioning it, so you just got to be quiet. And I've, I've faced that tension so many times, right? My hands get sweaty, my heart's beating. and It's, it's a silly illustration, but all that is to say you, we live in a reality that we forget. We all have blind spots. We're so blinded to how we're really doing, what's really going on in our lives. We are not self-aware. And here's the problem. It is too rare for others to actually have the space, the courage, and the time to honestly tell us what's up. Is it not? Like, if you could have a small group that met with you daily and said, huh, you got to work on this. Huh, I noticed this about you. That might suffice, but that's just not practical or possible. So what metaphor then Does God say the Bible is for us to become self-aware on a regular basis? A mirror. We use mirrors every day. Every single one of you today looked at the mirror. James 1 verse 23 to 24 says, Anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. So the description here is that the Bible functions like a mirror. Now, all of us have mirrors in our home. We use them all the time. What do we use them for? I remember when I first got married to Angela, my wife, uh, she became kind of like my beauty and skin routine person because prior to marrying her, uh, my facial routine was water. That's it. <laughs> Wash my face. I was done. And I remember she told me uh, after we got married, she's like, oh, man, just looking at my face. And I was like, what's wrong? She's like, did you see your face? I was like, yeah. Yeah. She's like, do you wash your face? Your skin is so dry. You need to shave. Your nose has so many blackheads. Do you even moisturize? And I was like, so attacked. I was like, what is going on here? It can't be that bad. And she said, if you don't believe me, go to the mirror. So I went to the mirror, and I was like, it still doesn't look that bad. And then we have one of those Ikea mirrors where when you flip it, it gets like five times magnified. So she's like, how about now? And I was like, my God. She's right. The mirror is Objective. It's not going to fabricate something. It tells you as it is. And I had to admit, you know what? You are absolutely right. And what did I do? Made corrections. washed my face better. Because that's the point of a mirror. Rarely does anyone look at the mirror without fixing something. Right? Like when you look at the mirror and you have something stuck on your face, you don't go like, oh, well, there it is. And you just carry on. No. You, you correct it. You take it off. That's the point. It reveals flaws and areas of your life that you should do something about. In the same way, we need to constantly assess and look at ourselves through the mirror of God's word because sin is present in our day-to-day life. In the same way that things will get on your face, your skin will dry up, and it's not weird to wash your face every single day because that's required, you also need to do that with the word of God because this thing is a mirror that will tell you as it is. The mirror of God will show you as you really are. It will not flatter you. It does not intend to people please. One author says in one sense, you will never truly know yourself until you see yourself in light of the mirror of God's Word because it will not flatter you. Second reality. The third reality, there exists an enemy that seeks to destroy us. I know it sounds so hardcore, but let me explain. I I I recently watched a Netflix special. So I don't know if you guys know David Letterman. He finished his late night show and he created this Netflix series called My Next Guest. And it's interesting. It's like really raw interviews with like really famous, interesting people. I don't normally watch it, but there was a special recently where he was interviewing the Ukrainian president. I don't know if you guys know, Ukraine's still at war. So I was like, so interested. Like, how did he even interview him? And it's like live. So he interviews President Vladimir Zelensky, and the whole beginning of the show is how he even got to meet him. Right? It's not in this nice studio. He has to kind of covertly get on a bunch of trains, go to this undisclosed location, underground in the subway, and that you could see all these bodyguards with guns, and that's the context of how they're interviewing. And even during the interview, they pause time to time because you hear bomb sirens going off. And at Letterman is shook, because he's not used to that, right? He's from America. so he's like, "Dude, like, what's going on? Like, how do you ever get used to this?" And Zelensky is just sitting there, he's like, "This is our reality." It's just another day for us. Our children are used to that. This is what it means to be in war. Now there's a certain level of gravity and alertness, therefore, that naturally arises in your heart and the way you make sense of and approach life when you're in the context of something like war. Makes sense. Now, I honestly think, God forbid we're having a war, but Christians here in sunny Southern California could use a little bit of that context. I know um, even like the crazy weather recently. I was talking to uh, the coffee shop I go to. We were talking about how we're in such a bubble because all of U.S. is messed up by snow, winter storms, crazy rain, flooding. And even 20 miles north of, even in L.A., they're experiencing it. But you know here in Buena Park, you know what the worst thing I'm facing? It's so wet. (laughs) It's raining so much. I can't play outside. What tragedy. And again... Not saying there's anything wrong with living in that context, but it does something to you in your Christianity. Because the lived reality you're in is so different from the actual reality that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. Look at Ephesians 6. Paul, speaking of the reality for Christians, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. If I came up to you after service today and said, hey, make sure you have a weapon on you. You would say, what the heck is wrong with you? We're at peace. Why would I need a weapon? If I said, hey, I got intel. Somebody's trying to kill you. Make sure you have a weapon on you. You would say, give me a weapon is that literally not what the Bible is saying? I did not do any sort of hermeneutic gymnastics here. Somebody is trying to kill you. That's literally the spiritual reality that we are in. There is an enemy that is prowling around that his job in life is to ruin you. And that is why Paul has to raise the stakes and say you are in a state of spiritual warfare. You can't get too comfortable Because throughout redemptive history, Satan's greatest weapon is to lull God's people into a state of peace, complacency, and ignorance over his reality and what's really going on for your soul. You see, the only way we can defend against him, as it says, is not flesh, it's not blood, it's not even willpower. It is by the sword, third metaphor of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now you might be thinking, well, I don't experience this warfare tangibly? How do I know it? I will make the case that contextually for us, a better way to understand it, which I think is biblically accurate, is as Romans 12 says: the spiritual warfare for maybe us OC Christians is waged in the mind. Romans 12: Do not be conformed to patterns, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5, the Apostle Paul gives this call. It's a very militaristic wartime language. Take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Did you know your discipleship goes beyond just your hands and your feet and goes into your mind? What you think about is discipleship. What you allow to ruminate in your head is discipleship. What you dispel out of it because it is not of God and is not doing good for your well-being is discipleship. And my fear is spiritual warfare is not even being waged because we have a free reign in our minds because what? People don't see it. Doesn't seem to have consequences. And this is where I think Satan has a field day with Christians today because he has control over this. Do you take captive thoughts that are not of Christ? With the Word of God. It's the only proven effective tool to do it. And how many people is Satan just manipulating and maneuvering with dark, ungodly, destructive thoughts because we have forgotten? We can. Defend against those things with the word of God. So how's your thought life these days? You need to immerse yourself and saturate yourself with the weapon of God's word. And the fourth reality, very shortly, but I think it kind of ties a nice bow. The fourth reality is only the word of God will remain. You know, one thing I'm realizing in this short life that I've lived so far, things become outdated so fast I remember um, one thing that I thought was going to be the future was something called an MD player, a mini disc player. You guys don't even know what it is because it lasted like a year and now it's just trash. I spent like $150 on that thing. CD players, that was like, this is the future. No, you don't even know what a CD player is. My mother-in-law has a VHS player. Ezra thinks it's a toy, right? He's just like, what is this thing? That was how we used to view things back then. Anyways, all that is to say fashion trends, popular celebrities, worldly philosophies, everything expires so quickly. Does not? Does it not? The one objectable, remarkable truth that you kind of have to agree to, whether you're Christian or not, is how timeless this thing is. You ever think about that? It's been relevant and impactful for over 2,000 years. That is amazing. People are surrounding their life around this ancient book for over 2,000 years. Harry Potter doesn't do that. Harry Potter was super lit a couple years ago. People don't even read Harry Potter anymore. And I can't help but think the only reason that can be the case is because this book is alive. It's not dead. The God behind the scriptures is alive. He is unchanging. The story of the scripture is eternally relevant because it has to do with an eternal God dealing with a generational, generational, generational problem of man, which is how does man come to be reconciled with God. So it remains relevant and the story carries on even to today until Revelation 20, Jesus returns. That's why it's Isaiah 48 and Mark 13, 31. Grass withers, flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If if you like financial terms, if you want a stock that's going to last forever, invest in the word. It is timeless. If you want to build your life off of something that will not change, build it off of the word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So to sum it up, because our souls need to be fed and sustained, we need to eat of the word. Because we live in the midst of darkness, we need the lamp of the word. Because we are self-deluded and not aware without help, we need the honest mirror of the word. Because there is an enemy who wages war against us, externally and internally, we need the sword of the word. And because we live in a fleeting, temporary world, we need the lasting, eternal nature of the word. And there's so much more. Which leads to point number three, the challenge. The challenge of acting on our need. Now obviously nothing will make me happier than if you heard this and you said, yes, Pastor, I believe this. I'm going to read the Bible every day. Unfortunately, that happens every year, does it not? Even with myself? Because knowing and being convicted about the importance of Scripture, it is barely half the battle. And I'm sure you know this in experience. And so it is also healthy to identify and almost tackle head on what are the challenges that will be there to actually do this. Because it's a lot easier said than done. There's three personal ones that I think hopefully apply to you. Obviously, there's a lot more. But three challenges I think we have to embrace as we close. And hopefully that you can take to heart as you hopefully join us in this journey of really feeling the need to read God's word. The first challenge is this. Needing God's word in our life is tough because we don't like to be needy. Neediness is seen as an a, uh, inferior quality to have, is it not? It's crazy to me that every kid from such an early age is so prideful. <laughs> A two-year-old will tell you, I don't want help. I do it. I do it. Don't help me. The pride of wanting to be self-sufficient plagues us from within at an early age. And it doesn't help that our culture seems to prize those that come off that way, right? Like needy, dependent people are seen as weak. Self-sufficient people are seen as you've made it. Here's the problem, though. We'll talk about distorted reality. Nothing is more distorted than that. Because true reality according to scripture and the story of scripture is that you're actually created for dependency. It's your design. That you cannot actually live life if you are being self-sufficient. You're intended to be dependent on God. And so step one in experience your need for the word of God is to embrace the reality of need altogether. That by faith you need to believe my soul really needs to be fed. That because I live in darkness, I really need the lamp of God's word. That because I don't know myself, I really need to be reflected by the mirror of God's word. And here's the problem. If you think you're living life fine without God's word, you may read it, but you'll never read it as if you really need it. And that's the bigger issue. You see, I, I, I could care less if you start the Bible reading plan with us and you read it as a tertiary need in your life. Because that's not what the word does. It's not a supplemental add-on to your life. And the only way it will make its way up the priority ladder of need is if you feel like you actually need it. That's why the psalmist constantly pray, incline my heart towards your word. Open my eyes to see the glories of your word. Because I don't see it now and I need you to move me that way. So that's number one. We need to recognize we don't like to be needy. But we need to get to a place where we do. Second challenge is uh, pretty straightforward, but it just has to be said. I think the second challenge is an unwillingness to do what the Bible says. An unwillingness to do what the Bible says. I referenced a passage earlier from James, and the emphasis of that whole text is to be a doer of the word. And I'm sure more will be talked about this in the series. Um, It is amazing how many Christians know what the Bible says to do, but just choose to ignore or disobey what it says to do. Uh, I, I share this here and there. I have a kind of a bad stomach and gut. It's getting progressively worse. So I went to the doctor, and the doctor, he basically asked me, and he said, okay, I know what your problem is. You know what your problem is? Here's how you're going to fix it. You've got to take these medicines, avoid these foods, and eat a lot of these foods. Laid it out very clearly for me, and I said, okay. A couple months later, I visited the doctor, and he said, has your stomach been better? And I said, no. He said, did you do what I said? I said, No. <laughs> He's like, well, there you have it. A lot of our discipleship is not mysterious, friends. If you don't do what God says to do, why are we frustrated over still feeling lost? And and dejected. And aimless. and, And struggling with guilt and shame. Obviously, a lot easier said than done, but I want to point us back in the direction again of what discipleship at its core is, which is following. It's not just hearing Jesus. It's not just acknowledging Jesus. It is counting the cost to follow Jesus, to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow what Jesus says to do, which means it won't be easy, but it is the way to true life. So an unwillingness to do and notice I said not a perfection that you have to do, but is an unwillingness. You need to be willing so that God has something to work with. Because if you have a closed door and say, nope, I'm not going to do it, then, then, then scripture reading is, is just a religious duty. You've already made your decision that you're not going to follow what God says to do. So I dare I say you might as well not read it then. Because you have shortcutted the power before you've even opened it. Third and lastly, the challenge... Believe that God actually speaks through the word. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active. Is the Bible a book to read? Yes. But does the living God actually speak through the Bible today in a very present way? 100% yes. A lot of us don't believe that. You see, when we approach God's word, I think a lot of us have checklist syndrome. Okay, If you're like me, and we actually talked about, like, Man, maybe we shouldn't make the reading plan like a checklist. What checklist syndrome is, you approach the reading of God's word as something you have to get done. I do this all the time. I'm like, okay, I got to read God's word. It's a duty I got to do. I got like five, ten minutes. Let me just get it done so I can check it off and I can show my accountability partners, like what's wrong with you guys? Why aren't you reading? I read it, right? The Bible is not something ultimately you go to do. It is a place you go to hear. To listen. Because at the other end of this book, it is not like any other book in all humankind, which are dead words on a page. There is a God on the other side of this that is trying to speak. So you don't just open your eyes to see what's written. You need to open your ears to hear what's being said. And many of us don't do that. That is what's more important than anything ever, I think, in our day and age today. Because frankly, friends, our church, our members are going through some stuff. I know this for a fact. I talk to you guys. We talk about it all this time. People are going through some really difficult things. And naturally, here's the kind of Christian culture that's been developed. When you go through hard things or you don't know what to do, what you do is you go to other Christians you ask them, what do you guys think? Right? And that's kind of like the small group culture that's been developed for a lot of us. Which is like, you know the wise thing to do is consult people. So you will go to that person and the same way like Job does with his friends. People will give their opinion. They'll say, well, I think this is what you should do. Or like, hey, you should just not worry about it. Or maybe you should do that. And you'll hear all these flurry of people's opinions. And you'll think, okay, 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 okay. And there's no power to that. Why? Because in the end it's just their opinion. Why does their opinion carry any more weight than your opinion? So you could just choose to disagree and that's that. And we've become a church and culture, I think, where we've so formed ourselves off each other's advice that there's no power anymore. Because who cares what you think, quite frankly? If I like it, I'll take it. If I don't like it, I'm not going to take it. There's no authority in your word. And so that's not going to form you. You're still in control. So what this means is the fact that God speaks through the Bible means now we are formed by a voice outside of ourselves. It is the voice of God. That's what's going on. And when a group is formed around not what do you think, but what do you think God thinks, that's when formation happens. That's why even though the appeal of centering, life-sharing around God's word might seem so boring or unappealing, or, oh, but you know what? What's that going to be? People have asked me, like, hey, what's it going to be like? And initially I said, oh, I don't know. Like, I think it might be like a Bible study. But that's 100% wrong because it's still sharing life. The difference is now you're sharing life in light of God's word. And I think that's what we need today more than ever. To hear the voice of God and encounter him through his living word. And the reason we need this again is because we are not just created to survive and get by in this life, which I think many of us are. I think many of us are drowning with what this called life is. But Jesus says there's a better, freer, more fulfilling way to live. And it seems to be contained in the word that he's given to us. But he says, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And so the fight is a fight to believe that God knows what he's talking about because he has created us. So as I invite the praise team up, if I can just ask us to, to take a moment to pause and reflect and pray. I mean, the application is as clear as day. And I think the challenge of the message like this is how to say it in a way that can hopefully rekindle the need for the scriptures in our life. But again, I would start backwards kind of like I mentioned. Don't start with the command to read the Bible. Start with the realization of how in need we are of direction, of counsel, of power, of comfort, and that in all of those things, the word is sufficient. Can we pray, whether it's for yourself or for our church, or even for the formation group starting up, that we can become a church and culture where we are regularly hearing from the voice of God through his word.